Hello and welcome to Man on the Clapham Omnibus Sport Review. Today I'm going to do a podcast about stratification and the morality of victory. English football has undergone huge systemic change in the last 20 years. And one of the things that fascinates me is that the actual narratives that we as fans use and our concepts of success has remained the same. And it's very much, it creates a a narrative. It's all about the narrative. So in other words, you if you want to be successful, there's a concept that, the traditional concept, which is that you win a cup. So you start, you, your team then considered on the rise. I mean, what, what is every, whenever anyone talks about Sir Alex Ferguson, it always comes back to the, you know, 1990 cup final against Crystal Palace. The idea that had they not won that cup final, that he might have been sacked, that this, all of the success that came to Manchester United in the 90s and 2000s with Ferguson may not have happened. In other words, they probably would have been successful, but it might have been with a different manager, and it might not have been to the industrialised success that they eventually had. And so, the, and it, it stayed in our... It stayed in our minds. So English football fans have created almost a sort of platonic ideal of, of how you get success. So you have the breakthrough win in the League Cup or the FA Cup. It then automatically then leads on to bigger wins in, let's say, the League, which then allows you to then have success in Europe. And so that is how you get success. And that you can't skip a step within that. And if you do, then you know something goes wrong, or it's not, or your victory isn't considered as valid. So, in other words, you know Blackburn Rovers' success in winning the league in ninety four, ninety five sort of doesn't count. It's always sort of piled in with sort of Jack Walker's money, and you know they effectively bought the title, and it, it was just a freak one off, and then they immediately you know dropped down, and were never you know anywhere near as successful and it's almost as if actually had you won an FA Cup had you, had it taken three or four years then that would have been more moral I mean even now you know, when people talk about you know sort of um, Chelsea's success I mean there's almost two different types of success so if we're going to talk about the the Jose Mourinho and the Abramovich era there was a sense that that Claudio Ranieri was a you know, was a nice man, but he wasn't like a serial winner. And so as a result they then brought in Mourinho. And then, you know, let's face it, had Claudio Ranieri stayed another year, Chelsea would have won the league. You know, their team was too talented, there was too many you know, too much money was spent for them not to have been successful. Now I think the difference is is that Mourinho was a you know, a narrative change. He came in with confidence, with swagger, with the you know, Champions League win that he'd had with Porto, and that did change things. And you know, it not only did it, I suppose, speed up the, you know, the change from Chelsea being traditionally, you know, the dark horse, the third favorite for the league, to actually winning the league. And I think they would have, and they won. They would have won more trophies with Mourinho than they would if they kept Claudio Ranieri, for example. And even then, the you know, the the morality tale part of it is that they won the League Cup. It was a scrappy, very you know, contentious game against Liverpool in Cardiff. Matthias Kesman have ended up, you know, effectively toe poking the ball over the line from a couple of yards out, and that it was that League Cup victory was important on their road to winning their, you know, their first Premier League title. Now, there is probably an element of truth to it. I mean, especially from the player's standpoint. So in other words, you win a trophy at Liverpool against Liverpool in a you know set-piece cup final. Yeah, I'm sure it did help. But at the same time, had they lost that game, it went to extra time, either side could have won it. Had they lost that cup final, I still think they would have won the league. And in the end, what would have happened is the narrative would have flipped on its side and they'd have said that the disappointment of losing to Liverpool steeled them and made them even more determined to win. 
the, the league to prove that they were that team. And yet now with you know with Abramovich, with Abu Dhabi, with the amount of sort of foreign ownership, with the explosion of you know sort of television rights and the Premier League being you know a dominant a dominant force within sort of world football, so much has changed. But we're still using the you know, this you know, narrative you know fallacy of success. So in other words, what Tottenham are doing and what they've done in the last four or five years is is far closer to let's say to what you know the criticisms in a way that were put to Blackburn that you had you weren't doing it in the right way and that Tottenham's failures is because they haven't they've skipped a step so in other words they didn't win the league cup they lost you know under Pochettino they've lost the in his first season they lost the uh, Capital One Cup final to Chelsea 2-0. And that was a Chelsea team uh, under Mourinho that won the league fairly comfortably and they won the double. And they you know Chelsea over the you know the whole sort of extent of the Abramovich era have been incredibly successful. In some ways that means that they you know by proxy have been well run. But we all know that that isn't necessarily true. That there's you know, been plenty of mistakes, you know, in terms of you know sacking managers, in terms of short, you know, it, with an, a lack of clear planning. So in other words, they they get a fantastic youth system, but they don't use it. They're constantly you know sacking managers. And so I'm more inclined, you know, with regards to this podcast, to suggest that really the the actual clear underlying cause of Chelsea's success has been the money. The money allows them to, you know, no matter how many mistakes Chelsea have made and the air of chaos that has been uh, a forthright part of the Abramovich era, in the most, I think, honest conception, it was the money. The money allowed them to buy the players, to get the youth system, to get the great managers. Now, you don't get Mourinho in you know, 2000 and, you know, in 2004-05 without that kind of money. Without the players, without the setup that they had. So really, what we need to do is we need to understand what does winning the league cup actually mean what does winning the fa cup now mean and what has it meant for the last 20 years so if you really we'll take the league cup first so really from you know 1999 to the present day how many of those teams so if we're going to treat the you know, the traditional narrative of success is you win the league cup and then, as a club, you will then move on to the next level. And how many of those teams have actually done that? So if you take the two times that Spurs have won it, so that's 1999 and 2005. In neither case did those teams kick on to the next level. You know, one day Ramos was sacked the next season. You know, George Graham left you know, in 2001, was replaced by Glenn Hoddle. And those teams did not go on to the next level. Spurs remained, in the 99 version, remained stuck in mid-table with the occasional, you know, FA Cup semi-final. You know, it was year, it was, took, you know, five or six years, three or four different managers before they finally had that breakthrough of nearly qualifying for the Champions League and finishing fifth. You know, the 2005 Spurs team, Berbatov was sold, Keane was sold. You know, it took you know it took a two or three years, and Harry Redknapp in charge before they eventually you know finally qualified for the Champions League. And in neither of those instances what were those League Cup finals you know the starting point. In other words, you still had to go through two points eight games. You still had to two or three managerial changes to get to Martin Yol. Okay, so you take, let's say, Birmingham, you take Swansea. Okay, both times they were, you know, established Premier League clubs and both were relegated. I mean, Birmingham, it was the same season. They you know, won the League Cup, next two or three months were terrible, complete loss of form, and were relegated on the last day of the season. 
know, Swansea had you know been you know, successful, you know, played some beautiful football, you know, had brought a you know, a completely fresh perspective into the Premier League. You know, lots of you know stylish managers, lots of good football. They were relegated. So okay, so you then take some of the bigger clubs that have won the League Cup in the last twenty years. You know, two thousand twelve, Liverpool manager was sacked. You know, twenty seventeen, you know, with Manchester United and Jose when they then went on to win the Europa League, didn't work. It didn't. You know, they didn't then start competing in any meaningful way for the league. The football didn't improve. He then got sacked. You know, really the last. Two teams that have had any degree of success off the back of winning the League Cup was probably, let's say, the 2002 Blackburn Rovers team. Now they finished sixth the next season, qualified for the UEFA Cup. You could then say maybe Middlesbrough in 2002, they got to the UEFA Cup final, you know, the season afterwards. But in both of those situations, by 2009, within five years, Middlesbrough had been relegated and then spent a good, you know, multiple years outside of the, the Premier League. You know, by 2000, you know, Blackburn's had a good few years. But they then ended up getting relegated in 2012, and they haven't returned to the Premier League. They've even spent time in League One. And the thing is, is that if we're talking about 2002, was the last, or 2004, this is all before Abramovich. This is all before Abu Dhabi. This was in a time period where actually, and this is before stratification, when actually a mid-table Premier League team like Middlesbrough could win the could win the League Cup, and they played Bolton in the final. You know, in two thousand and two, Blackburn Rovers played a mid-table Spurs team and beat them in the final. We are now, and then could then use that to then finish in the top six. We now have stratification. You know, very rarely do you get a team outside of the traditional big six competing and finishing in the top six anymore. It's just it's out of the question. And even now, winning the League Cup is really effectively out of the question. You've had Man City win it. You've had Man United win it. You've had Chelsea win it. You've had Liverpool win it. No, you take the FA Cup in the last twenty years. You know. You've had Portsmouth win it. You've had Wigan win it. Wigan got relegated the same season. You know, both of those teams have had multiple relegations. Okay, so you then take Arsenal. Now, the, the criticism for, for Wenger for years and years and years was that you know they'd stop winning things and that actually if and when they did start winning things that that would then be the catalyst that the underachieving Arsenal teams that always seemed to be just pipping Spurs to you know finish in the fourth at the end of the season would then kick on would then start competing for the league and then lo and behold they won the FA Cup they won it back to back but none of those teams kicked on you know Arsene Wenger yes was effectively I mean, I suppose you could argue he retired, he was sacked, ran out. I mean, he wanted to stay. Arsenal let his contract run out and told him to leave. I would consider that a sacking. OK, so when Man United then won it in 2016, under Louis van Gaal, what did they do? They sacked him at the press conference. You know, it seems to me in the last 20 years that now winning the FA Cup isn't a gateway to anywhere. In many ways, it's actually usually for these teams... The peak that then leads to the downfall. In other words, you know, the success that Portsmouth had had and all the money that they had had, they were storing up problems and that eventually those financial, you know, the, the idea that they'd been living behind, behind, beyond their means. And so as a result, they've spent more years in League Two and League One than they have the Championship or the Premier League. And this is the the interesting thing when you sort of put it sort of under the sort of closer analysis. If you look at the teams that Arsenal played in those back to back FA Cup final wins in fourteen and twenty fifteen, they played Wigan and Reading in the semi finals. Both of those teams were, you know, championship teams. Massive underdogs hadn't. Neither of those teams had been in the Premier League for you know a, a period of years. And in the final, they played Hull, who and Villa. Both of those teams 
were then relegated within a couple of seasons. And then if you compare it to the criticism that Spurs have had, and specifically Pochettino, that they haven't taken the Cups as seriously, and that they can't win the big games, who have they played in their semi-finals? Well, they've played Chelsea, Manchester United. In the final of the League Cup, they played a league-winning Chelsea team. You know, last year, in the semi-finals of the League Cup, they lost on penalties to Chelsea, who then went on to win, finish third, and win the Europa, the Europa League. And if you take the traditional viewpoint, is that somehow Arsenal's success is the more moral success. You know, in that they had done it right. They built up this team, they bought some younger players, bought some better players, and that they won the FA Cup, and then they should kick on and go on to the next level and then start competing in Europe better and start you know, competing and challenging for the title. Now, in fact, what's actually happened over those period of years is that Spurs were the ones that have challenged in Europe, the ones who have challenged for the title. Now, the point is, is that Spurs could have easily won the FA Cup had they played in their semi-finals... Wigan, Reading, and in the fi- and if they then got to the final, if they played Hull and Villa. The point is, you can have success. You can get to finals, you can compete in Europe, and you can compete for the league without ever having an FA Cup or a League Cup to validate that success. If you look at it, you know, Liverpool had lost finals under Klopp. Did that stop them you know, competing for the league? Did that stop them winning the Champions League? It didn't. I would argue that really we should get rid of the League Cup in its entirety. France have. And France were one of the only European countries to have a League Cup. You know, would you really miss it? Would you miss those early round midweek games in autumn? Would you miss the semi-final over two legs in January? Would that be a huge deal? Would would losing the set-piece final... In you know, early spring, would that really be it? Would that would you would you be that disappointed? Would you? My argument would be, look at where it's going. We went from having sort of two legs, league cups, and and that was the, I think the first two or three rounds were two legs, and then it only went to the the first round because that was a money spinner for the league clubs, that stopped. But then, okay, fine, we'll have... You know, but if it's a draw, there's a replay. Then replays got knocked out and was stopped. Okay, we won't have any replays, but we will have extra time and penalties. What happened then? Actually, we'll get rid of extra time and we'll go straight to penalties. You can see where this is going. You know, the attendances, the television audiences for the League Cup isn't high. You know, we may say we like it, we may say that the League Cup means something to us, but in reality, it's not a, it's not a stepping stone. It's not a way into Europe. Because the teams that have done, you know, really the greatest success that we can say, using the traditional narrative, would be Middlesbrough getting to the UEFA Cup final. But now... Even then, the the UEFA, the Europa League has changed. That you now have a group stage. It's you're not getting the situation where you're having upstart teams. You know, going on fairy tale you know, runs to the final like Middlesbrough did. Middlesbrough they had lots of you know late comebacks, extra time comebacks, great home victories. But the quality of the opposition they were playing doesn't compare with what the Europa League now stands for. You know, if you look at the uh, the Europa League, you had uh, semi-finals this year were Eintracht Frankfurt against Chelsea. You had Valencia versus Arsenal. You had a final which was you know, Chelsea versus Arsenal. That was a big deal. That was, you know, qualifying for the Champions League. <laughs> what you know, you did have teams, you know, obviously in the 90s you had Manchester United. But what they used to do is they used to use the League Cup to give games to the kids, to for the reserve players. And, you know, that's why Manchester United didn't get to League Cup finals in the late 90s. Because they didn't have the, I think, the playing resources, or even necessarily in some ways the desire. 
But now that you have stratification, now that you have you know, huge teams with massive goals, with massive budgets, with massive pressure on them, as a result, the League Cup has become a you know, a consolation bauble. It's something to tack on to the you know, end of you know, success that is really measured in leagues, in Champions Leagues, in doubles. In other words, winning the League Cup in of itself isn't enough. The managers that do that get sacked. Man City went after the League Cup because they could not only win the League Cup, they could win the FA Cup. They could win the league. They could do be the first team to do the domestic treble. So as a result, there's not really much in it. In it for mid-table teams. You've had you know Southampton. Yep, they gave Manchester United a game in the final. They were unlucky not to win. But even the fairy tale side of it, when you know Bradford getting to the final, uh, Burton Albion getting through to the semi-finals, the end product of those magical cup runs was annihilation. You know, we all remember Swansea versus Bradford. It was a hugely one-sided final, and the most famous thing that came out of that game was two Swansea players arguing over who was going to take the penalty. Burton, you know, knocked out a few Premier League clubs, and these were Premier League clubs that were more interested in staying up, or who were, if they were, you know, trying to break into the top six, a cup run wasn't going to be helpful in getting into the the top six, which is where you know big clubs and where striving clubs need to be to be relevant. So you have a situation where Burton Albion beat a couple of Premier League's reserve teams. But they hit Man City and they got smashed, you know, by ten goals over two legs, nine in the first leg. You know, there isn't that there isn't anything to be gained. In other words, nobody would have watched the second leg at Burton Albion's Pirelli Stadium. You just wouldn't. What was the point? You the result was a foregone conclusion. They could have sent out the under seventeens. They could have sent out the under fifteens and they probably would have still had enough to have, you know, gone through to the final. And in the end it's just you know, you're getting a situation where you have Chelsea versus you know, Man City as the final, and yet, in effect, it became a final for the sake of a final. Yet, yeah, Man City wanted to win the treble. You know, Chelsea under Sari were looking to you know win something, but in no way, shape, or form was that game definitive. In other words, Chelsea outperformed Man City. Man City edged it on penalties. And in the end, it was more famous for, you know, the whole Kepa situation, for you know, Sarri nearly walking out, you know, on his team in a final. And there was a sense that they could have won the final and had their league form still carried on where it was going, where it was trending at the time, he would have been sacked. So there's nothing to be gained, really, as a manager. It's just something that you... It's, it becomes almost, for a top six team... A tick box exercise, you know, for the upper, you know, in other words, yeah, it'd be great for Tottenham to win the final, but would it help in keeping Deli Alley? Would it help in keeping Harry Kane or Ericsson? I'm not so sure, to be completely honest with you. I mean, I suppose we can play counterfactual, and if Tottenham had won that penalty shootout in the second leg at Stamford Bridge, and let's say they'd beaten Man City in the final. Would that have been the harbinger for Spurs to then go on and beat Man City in the Champions League? Well, no, because Tottenham lost that semi-final, didn't get to the final, and were still able to beat Man City in the second leg and to go for an away goals in a much more high-pressure atmosphere. In other words, you know, at times in the final, you know, in, in the League Cup, you get a situation where, let's say, the backup goalkeeper plays instead of the you know frontline goalkeeper because the backups played the entire of the you know tournament run. You don't get that in the Champions League, you know, quarter final. There's you know so much more riding on it, and I think getting rid of the League Cup conversely would help the FA Cup because actually you would just have one you know league. Sorry, you'd have one cup competition, which would be. 
you know, more, I think, special. But even the FA Cup was stratification. You had a situation where where Watford had that, you know, a really special comeback win in the semi-final against Wolves, which was brilliant to watch. But yet we reached the, the FA Cup, they reached the FA Cup final, and then what happened? They got absolutely annihilated by Man City. You know, Man City definitely in that situation were running up the score. Up, you know, in my opinion, completely unnecessarily. I think once you get to 6-0 in the 90th minute, you know, there's, there's nothing to be gained by trying to get 7th. There's nothing to be gained by bringing on you know, some of your top-level players just for the sake of you know, proving that, that you can destroy Watford. Well, of course, look at the difference in budgets, look at the difference in playing squads. I think it was the the ultimate irony is that Man City, you know, absolutely, you know, battering Watford actually ended up undermining their domestic success to an extent because it showed you just how big the gap was and just how much advantages you know Man City had that in the League Cup final they'd They'd been able to swat aside, you know, a Chelsea who'd effectively had to play up to actually give Man City a game. In other words, you know, Man City were the presumptive, you know, favourites against a team that have ended up finishing third and winning the Europa League. Mm. And that Chelsea, in effect, in that final were really underdogs. <laughs> and really what... The sort of tales of Man City and Chelsea really mean in terms of morality is that there's a sense that you know with the great Liverpool teams of the late sixties, seventies, eighties, they had earned it. You know the boot room had the success that you know and the aura of Anfield. Yes, they had earned it. In other words, you'd had. Bill Shankly take a second division outfit and turn them into Liverpool. The you know, the dominant side of English football for about 25, 30 years. And then each of his successors carried on that torch. You then had Ferguson, and Ferguson had you know, five years, he had the FA Cup, and then this huge success, you know, the class of 92. And in a sense, the traditional narrative of, you know, and the morality of success was earned. In other words, yes, those teams had won FA Cups, they then won leagues, they then had success in Europe, but things have now changed. Yes, Chelsea and Man City deserved the success that they had, but the underlying point of it was money. It was, you know, as well run as Man City are and as well run as Chelsea are to an extent, the what has made them successful is how much money they have spent. You know, they have paid for the access to power, which really is the ability to, you know, hire successful managers. So that's to attract, you know, Conte, to attract Mourinho, to to get Ancelotti. You know, Man City's, you know, success under Pep Guardiola is entirely related to the fact that they had the underlying infrastructure to attract Guardiola in the first place. We know Pep Guardiola will not work somewhere where there isn't a world-class youth setup, where there isn't a world-class training facility, where there isn't a world-class stadium, and it and a top top three transfer budget. You know, in comparison with virtually any other club, other than let's say Real Madrid, Barcelona, maybe to an extent Paris Saint-Germain. Although I would argue that Man City have more power than Paris Saint-Germain to an extent. In that, you know, Man City can offer, you know, Champions League football and Premier League football, whereby, you know, League One is a step down. <laughs> and that you could argue that, you know, in Neymar signing for Paris Saint-Germain was as much a power play on his part <laughs> than it was a decision made under the purely sporting merits. In other words, his thought process was... I can win a Ballon d'Or because if I take Paris Saint-Germain to Champions League success, 
that will then appear will create a better narrative than let's say staying at Real Madrid sorry staying at Barcelona and then eventually replacing Messi because any success that you know Neymar had at Barcelona had to be shared with Suarez had to be shared with the, for the most part with the genius that is Lionel Messi and that that was the desire to have you know to be the absolute center point of an outfit mm. was one of the sort of prevailing reasons for him going to Paris Saint-Germain it rather than let's say Man City where of course he'd been a huge you know star at Man City but again it would still having to share the spotlight with De Bruyne with Aguero Sterling et al so really what I'm saying is is that as supporters our conception of success in English football is 20 years out of date and really if you carry on with where stratification is taking us in terms of how to build teams that are able to compete with City and with Liverpool, is that you will be effectively waiting 25, 30, you know, maybe even 40 years for your next freak Leicester-style season. Because actually, if Tottenham, and not face it, Tottenham are right now in crisis, if they aren't able to do it with the stadium with the training ground with the you know relatively you know larger footprint than let's say Everton, Leicester, Wolves it is a real existential crisis for English football we've proven that the league cup and the FA cup aren't the platforms for long term success that they used to be for Liverpool and for Manchester United, historically. We will always have big clubs in English football. You will always have, in European club football, and in really any form of professional sports, you will always have dominant teams. When you have a long period, a history of success, there is an element that, that, that becomes almost institutional. If we take the concept of luck, if we, let's say, take, you know, um, a narrative, and if we take Liverpool's Champions League, you know, success last season, Liverpool were poor away from home for the vast majority of that tournament. You know, they lost two games in away from home in the group stages, and in the last minute at Anfield, they needed to beat Napoli to qualify for the you know, latter stages. Alisson makes a worldie of a save in injury time from Napoli. Had that gone in, Liverpool would have been knocked out. You know, they got absolutely battered. So they'd lost in Serbia, they'd lost in Italy, they got absolutely annihilated in the first leg of the semi-final, 3-0 at Barcelona. Now, the second leg comeback is amazing, and it is, and it's wonderful, and it's a, a huge achievement for Jurgen Klopp, and it's a huge achievement for Liverpool, and I'm, I don't want anyone to sit there and think that I'm taking away from that success. You beat Barcelona 4-0 in the second leg, with them being 3-0 up, that's an amazing achievement. Part of that is due to the, the legend of Anfield. You know, historically, when Liverpool have played badly in away legs, in the home legs, they've had comebacks or near comebacks. You know, and there is a mystique to Anfield that comes from the, just the sheer level of success, from the, you know, the noise of the crowd, that you know, your average football team you know, can't do. Tottenham have a you know a, a storied European history and they've had some glory glory nights at White Hart Lane, but it is just not to the extent of Liverpool's success in winning you know multiple European Cups and the comebacks in you've got Istanbul. It's just too numerous to you know mention. You know, you're talking five, six, seven, ten. I mean, you could have you know twenty fantastic uh, home legs. European ties, Anfield, you could, you could probably write a history book about it. And the point is, is that that is not something that was created by Jurgen Klopp. That was something that has always been there. 
and is always going to be part of their armory. And so really what I'm trying to say is is that there was lots of problems with Liverpool's you know European run. There was there was underlying issues, but their narrative was completely and utterly washed away the second they went one nil up in the final. And yeah, when they got the second goal, when they host held it up, all of that changed. All of the talk about you know Jurgen Klopp being a bit of a nearly man because of their you know final defeats yeah you know, for him in the Champions League for Bayern Munich and their failures a couple of times in you know cup competitions, all of it immediately you know dissipated, and no one will ever will really focus on just how close Liverpool were to not winning the European Cup. It immediately, the narrative is completely shifted. In other words, historically, Alisson will always make that worldy save from Napoli. That comeback was always on the second. You know, Liverpool went 1-0 up on the night, and it looked like Barcelona weren't up for it. And as a result, the flip side, you know, Tottenham become the nearly men in this you know, story. <laughs> and yet, in reality, <laughs> Tottenham largely outplayed you know, Liverpool on the day. However, it's luck, it's fine margins. In other words, you know, I will say this, I think it was ridiculous that you ever had a situation where a European Cup final was played in June in Spain in 30 plus degrees heat. You know, nobody (laughs) wants a game of that significance being played in sweltering heat where you can't run, where actually it becomes more of a test of stamina. So in other words, when you're playing in 30 degree heat, the first goal becomes naturally more important because you really can't chase back. or It's a lot harder to in that heat. So if you go 1-0 down in 27 seconds, it becomes a metaphorical mountain. Especially with how good Liverpool's defence were with Allison, with Van Dyke, with Matip, with their fullbacks. Liverpool won that final, and as much as I want to say that Tottenham, yep, yeah, I feel Tottenham outplayed them, Liverpool took their chances. And on the day, Tottenham weren't able to put the right amount of pressure on them to get the result. In other words, I'll say this to my dying day had Tottenham equalised in that last 15 minutes, it would have been, let's say, our equivalent of, you know, New Camp 1999 for Manchester United. That would have, you know, there been, you know, the energy with the disappointment that Liverpool would have had and whether Liverpool would have then had to, I suppose, psychologically try and hold out to you know, extra time because had it gone to extra time, I think Liverpool would have won. But in the heat of the battle, if you've been 1-0 up for 80 minutes, the oppo equalise, and then are starting to pour forward. You know, momentum, you know, takes over to an extent. And it really kind of feeds back into the sense of, you know, we, we talk, I suppose one of the sort of tenant, key tenants of sports writing is the idea that once the game's finished, that the result is correct. And that morally it was the right result and that you know the team that won deserved to win so in other words if let's say you're it's nil nil and your goalkeeper has had an amazing game to keep it nil nil you haven't had a shot on target and you have a last second breakaway and nick the goal what the way how the narrative is sort of moralized is that it's the performance of your goalkeeper He's had a brilliant game. He is man of the match, and that uh, actually the you know people talk about the spirit that you've had to hold out for so long in the you know and how clinical you were when you did get a chance to take it and to win the game. However, if you you know you had to take something like expected goals, which really in a mathematical and in a scientific way tries to basically work out what should have happened. You know, in other words, if your expected goals, you were supposed to score two, you haven't because the goalkeeper's had a great game, you've hit the post a lot of times, you've been unlucky, and that the oppo, you know, had an expected goals of virtually nil, but get two goals. 
and that's the and we we've made that writ large and we've used and english football fans and i suppose the media and the pundit 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 ocracy have used that as a stick really to beat spurs with so in other words instead of it being you know about you know people have given credit to spurs but it's always tinged with the sort of unspoken question mark over whether your window is closed because now people talking about and that's a a key element in how sports as a whole have been changed professional sports and the way how people how fans consume it you know it's far more i suppose strategic in other words we think of you know effectively things like football manager and fantasy sports we we've all now you know in some ways we fantasize about being the general manager rather than being the manager we fantasize about being the owner rather than a player because we then think of how we would do it and how we would build a team and we can then project you know our hopes onto youth team players and whether in a couple of years you'll have the requisite experience to you know really compete at the top level but i think the problem that you have with stratification is that it it creates a logical underpinning and then once you marry that up with the traditional traditional narrative of how you get success is that and that's then put onto let's say spurs as your key example i you need to win a trophy once you've won that trophy then you will kick on or you have to use this window because, you know, how long are you going to be able to keep Ericsson or how long can you keep Kane and all the rest of it? And the problem is, is that if you take Spurs, for example, and, the, you know, the, the two times that they meaningfully competed for the league, you had a freak situation with Leicester where everything went right for Leicester. They were managed masterfully by Claudio Ranieri. And if you compare, you know, I've done this before when you've then spoken about what happened next for Leicester, they've, you know, it's taken several years for them to now be considered challengers for the top six. Not for the title, not for the Champions League, just to get into the top six. And that's had, you know, several different managers, you know, and a whole, you know, squad rebuild, effectively. Mm. You know, Tottenham have been more consistent and they've, always finishing in the top four but but what that has done is is that in some way has undermined the what he what Pochettino has done which is really miracle working you know yes Matt Lester's was a you know I call that a freak season and in some ways it that is a miracle however you there have been story you know there's always been previous examples you know Verona in 85 in Italy You've had, you know, teams, you know, even maybe you could argue Deportivo La Coruña, maybe in Spain in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s. There have been lots of examples where a club has just put it together for one season and have never been able to replicate it. I guess you could talk maybe, maybe not Forest, but then that becomes this sort of enigma and a genius of Brian Clough. In other words... You take Brian Clough out of Nottingham Forest, and Nottingham Forest are barely a top-level English football team. They they spend more years outside of the, you know, Premier League than they have inside it. You know, Tottenham have been so reliant on, you know, Pochettino on lot projects and things going well, and that there's virtually no room for any kind of major mistakes any problems so if we take what's happened maybe at Spurs in the last year you've had a situation where you know Victor Wanyama when Victor Wanyama's first season first couple of seasons was, was brilliant but he's picked up a knee injury and there's rumours that it's you know degenerative that he's never going to be the same player again you've had you know issues with Danny Rose's injury history he, you know he's had a long time out 
And when he returned, he was never quite the same player. You had Moussa Dembele's body giving out on him in his early 30s. I mean, Victor Wanyama's in his late 20s, you know, mid to late 20s, 26. And Moussa Dembele was in his early 30s. But, you know, he eventually had to, you know, effectively pension himself off to China. You've had, you know, Deli Alley's picked up, you know, hamstring injuries and lost a good part of last season and, you know, had a dent in their development. You've had Eric Dyer's problems last season, multiple injuries. And that's still even, you know, it's difficult for him to you know, get into the team and to then kick on in his development. You know, you had the situation with Kieran Trippier picking up a, you know, bad injury in the World Cup semi-final. But then magically, three days later... You know, making him, you know, making himself available for the third, fourth playoff, injuring it even further, and then had a terrible year last year. You know, it's. You know, they're still purchasing projects. You know, Lo Celso had a great season on loan at you know Batiste was signed permanently, you know because, and I think this was a mistake on Paris Saint Germain's end, but they considered him you know as not good enough, and he hadn't made the grade, which is why they sold him. You know, to basically booster their um, uh, fair FIFA fair play, you know, ledger. You know, you have Sessegnon, who had a, you know, was fantastic in the championship last season, had a bit of an up and down year with Fulham. I still think he's a fantastic player, but you know, there's he's no guarantor. He's, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to take Tottenham to the next level. And he's picked up an injury, and Lo Celso picked up an injury, both on international duty. You know, you, know, you look at the, you know, the handball in the Champions League final, it, I consider it a fairly arcane rule. I don't think, you know, and this is not putting, you know, me putting on rose-tinted specs and, you know, talking about you know, the good old days, but... I've always seen and conceived of handball as in you're trying to, you know, you're trying to stop a shot, you're trying to stop a crossing, and that it, there's an element of, you know, deliberate, whereby I didn't see that with Musa Sissoko. I've I've always thought that you know, hand to ball, ball to hand is the simplest and easiest way that you know you can judge handball. Whereby the modern rules now, I, it puts too high a burden on VAR, on the referees, and it just creates weird penalties. It, you know, where you've had a crowd not, you know, you've had players, you've had supporters not calling for handball because they didn't think it was handball, and then someone in the VAR booth, you know, presses the button, and then you've got a penalty out of nowhere. And this is the thing, it's... When you're in 30 degree heat and you go 1-0 down in 27 seconds, it, it was a mountain to climb. And they weren't good enough on the day, to be completely honest, you know. But the thing is, is that, is that Liverpool historically are a bigger, more successful football club. And the way how they spend their money and the players and the managers they attract are of a higher profile. In other words, <coughs> excuse me. Mauricio Pochettino, you know, had managed Espanyol, one of, you know, Barcelona's really second team. You'd had a situation where he'd managed Southampton. You know, that wasn't a high profile. You know, he wasn't a guaranteed deal when he signed for Spurs that he was going to bring the success that he had. He's done an amazing job. But it is, you know, and the real question is, is that obviously Spurs need a rebuild, but the, the the problems of size and stratification when you have, you know, the top six is that, you know, the real key point is could Spurs afford a gap year like Chelsea and Arsenal and to an extent Manchester United have had, in other words, Chelsea have had situations where they've been able to finish tenth, where they've been able to finish and not qualify for the Champions League to finish outside the top four, without it seemingly having a dent in terms of the managers and the calibre of players they were able to attract. And Arsenal have been able to sign Aubameyang and Lacazette and Pepe, and they've been able to spend a you know, decent amount of money on the front end, the you know, the attack side of things, you know, and getting Danny Sabalos on loan, without having not been in the Champions League for you know, like two or three years. But without, so it hasn't seemingly hurt or damaged the club. 
whereby with Spurs you get the feeling that if we had failed to qualify for the Champions League that you might lose Ericsson, that you might lose Kane. I mean, in other words, Spurs have done all the right things. You know, the only things that they haven't done is paid huge amount of money for wages, but the point is is that they're competing with, you know, Abramovich. You're competing not with Chelsea and Man City, you're competing with Abramovich, you're competing with the you know, Fenway group, you're competing with Abu Dhabi. The thing is is that Liverpool have a institutionalised success. And as a result, they can get absolutely hammered in the first leg and win 4-0 at Anfield. That is something that is part of being Liverpool that you couldn't replicate at Spurs. In other words, when Spurs had their comeback in the Champions League, it was against Ajax, it was away from home. Both of them were fantastic results and were emotional and were magical. But but the difference being is that Liverpool's success was on solid ground. In other words, the reason why they have stepped up a level to compete with Man City and why they could win the league this year and why they won the Champions League last year is that the players and the calibre of signings was Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. And that's big money. And that's money that really, at the moment, the way how Spurs are run, they can't spend that money and they can't attract that calibre of player. Much in the same way that, in other words, where Tottenham have made mistakes with, you know, assuming that Ericsson would leave in the summer, assuming that Alderweireld and his twenty-five million pound buyout clause would be activated, you know, they have made you know some mistakes, you know, but it's a classic example that the difference in those mistakes is a lot smaller and is a lot more random and more down to luck than it is a you know morality tale. In other words. If you look at one of part of the crisis that Spurs started was a defeat away at Leicester. Now the difference was is that they were one 0 up. They score a second goal, twenty minutes to go. You'd expect Tottenham to have you know, seen out that victory, and the second goal was scored by Serge Aurier. Now the thing is is that he would have you know we nearly sold him in the summer, but had that goal been given, and the thing is it was VAR, and it was you know a ridiculous decision because. Really, with the sort of fine margins you were talking about, you give the benefit of the doubt to the attacking team. We're football fans. We want to see goals. I'd rather a situation where maybe like one armpit hair of you know, Son was potentially offside. Now, the point is, we always think with VAR that it is actually completely infallible, that it is perfect, that there couldn't be any mistake at all but actually there is there is and when you're talking millimeters there is a margin for error and so you need you know effectively what cricket has is the umpire's call and the benefit of the doubt to the attacking team we would rather score goals and see goals and celebrate goals in the premier league than to sit there and spend three minutes with watching a computer technician draw lines on a screen and then decide that it was half a millimeter you know offside but that's the difference he, he, we would have had you know two assists two goals for Serge Arrett and you know he might you could think you could then imagine because he has all of the capabilities of someone who could be a world class right back he has the pace he can tackle he can cross he can score goals but he's also you know has a lack of concentration the reason we were able to sell him is that you know PSV PSG felt they had a better player on their books and that Aria could be sold to effectively balance the books. And so what's happened to Aria? Got himself sent off in 31 minutes against Southampton recklessly and stupidly. Had a terrible game against you know, Bayern Munich and helped contribute to the 7-2. That's it. it. It's fine margins. You know, the point is that Spurs... Had you know sold Trippier because he had a poor year. He was you know, entering his thirties, and it was you know what Atletico Madrid were going to do was going to put him as a sort of a central attacking element of their team because they have this sort of defensive cover in midfield and at the back that allows the fullbacks to go forward, and they have strikers in Morata and in Diego Costa who benefit from crosses and the kind of service that Trippier can give, and I think Spanish football suits his skill set and Atletico Madrid and the way how they're going to coach him will get the best out of him. 
whereby Tottenham were never going to be in that position. And I think his, you know, I don't think he had the physical profile to be able to be a long-term successful fullback in the Premier League if you're comparing him to, let's say, Juan Bissaka, Carl Walker, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, for instance. No, it's not necessarily Spurs' fault that you know no one put in an offer for Christian Eriksen or that Christian Eriksen didn't decide, you know, didn't force his way out, you know, or that no one wanted to pay twenty five million pounds for a top ten world centre half in Toby Alderweireld. Yes, there's a, there's a question of foreseeability, and yes, there is obviously you know Spurs aren't going to pay the money that you know your PSGs, your Manchester United, your Cities. Juventus, Barcelona, whether they will in the future, I, I don't know. But it's just not the way how they're being run. And I don't think it is legitimate to expect Tottenham to try and match the Man Cities and, to an extent, Liverpool's of this world. I, I don't see it happening. And, you know, while Pete fans are using, you know, the lack of trophies as a sort of morality tale and a stick to beat Spurs with... The real question is, is how can you compete with Man City? With the infrastructure, with the spending. The point is, is that I fully understand why Liverpool you know, have, I suppose, an element of institutional luck. Because they have that. They have the aura of Anfield. And that's married with the, I think, the history and the reputation of Liverpool. In other words, it was lucky that they got that penalty in their first 27 seconds. But they also had the measure and the skills to make the most of it. To then hold off Tottenham's advances in the second half. And then to you know, get the killer blow of the Origi goal. You know, you have to you, know, you give them credit. But the problem is, is that you've got your Chelsea's and your Man City's who have created stratification through their owners. In other words, Chelsea and and Man City effectively paid a surtax to, you know, I guess skip the institutional building that that United had under Ferguson and that Liverpool had, had under the boot room. In other words, Chelsea and Man City prior to, you know, Abramovich and prior to Abu Dhabi were grand old English football teams, but they were not overtly successful. You know, they hadn't won many league titles. They had spent, you know, times in mid table. They had spent times in for Man City in, you know, Division One, in Division Two, you know, and and so you can have a situation where the you know organized chaos that is you know you know the Abramovich ideology is creating success. And even when they've had. You know, failings, huge institutional failings. You know, the transfer ban. You know, for two windows as a punishment. You know, for you know, missteps with their youth system. In the end, has actually ended up being a blessing in disguise. It's allowed them to realise that actually they had a world class youth academy with world class players, on their doorstep, who they wouldn't have used had they actually had, the, you know, ability to sign whoever they wanted. So in other words, even when they're punished, it's actually been more beneficial. It really, you know, Chelsea fans should be asking themselves the question: Why it, did it come to this? To actually then get a manager that I think under you know, wanted to create a philosophy, and you know, a long-term institutional philosophy, you know, that is based upon the success they had at the you know, the beginnings of Abramovich, and that was you know Frank Lampard as a player, and now as a manager trying to bring that in. And using all of the talent of you know Abramovich, Tamori, and Mount, you know as well as Hudson Odoi, and as well as Loftus Cheek, and if you look at it in totality, although they've had the success, we've agreed previously that a lot of it was really down to the money, and the money allowed them to you know really negate the worst you know mistakes that they've made. In other words, if you say over the last six years, who has made more mistakes as a institution? It's Chelsea. They've sacked managers. They've been short-sighted. They've been punished. And yet, they've had the wins. And now they have this you know, really promising future. And in comparison, Tottenham haven't made anywhere near the same levels of institutional mistakes. They've had year-on-year progress. And yet now, 
through, you know, bad luck, through, you know, unexpected, you know, circumstances, from not having the same kind of money to put into contracts and to buy players, you know, they're falling behind and their future is now with, you know, what will happen with Pochettino, what will happen with Kane, and actually the future looks quite, you know, uncertain and in, in some ways dark. And yet, in comparison, they're trying to compete with Man City. Now, if you look at Man City, they had Jadon Sancho, who they brought through their youth system. It was a fantastically gifted player, and he ran his contract down and left for an absolutely you know, you know negligible transfer fee to buy to um, Borussia Dortmund. And there's been fantastic. He's now one of the you know brightest you know, stars in world football. For anybody else, that would have been a critical error. You would criticise the ownership, you'd criticise the management administration for not, you know, how could you not use this brilliant player? And yet, Man City losing, you know, Jadon Santo and losing him for no money is an absolute afterthought. You know, the fact that they spent a load of money on John Stones and it hasn't worked out is that, well, effectively, whenever Man City have had a major problem... Let's say, oh, your goalkeeper isn't very good. Well, we'll just sign Ederson, who's one of the best goalkeepers in the world, for you know, a near-record transfer fee for a goalkeeper. Okay, John Stones hasn't worked out. We're just going to sign Imeric Laporte, who's a world-class plug-and-play. You know, you get him maybe a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of months for him to get used to English football, and then he'll be a fantastic centre-half. You need um, a replacement for um, Fernandinho. You sign Rodri so that... It'll take him a maybe a year, 18 months to get fully up to, to speed, at which point then you've still got, you know, Fernandinho. Yep, they, you know, they let company go and didn't replace him, but the point is they have so much money. And even when they make a clear mistake, which will possibly, you know, stop them winning the title or competing with Liverpool, it's not the end of the world. They might still go ahead and they can always buy someone in January. And they might go on and win the Champions League. And this is, you know, really to conclude, the problem is, is that you can have a Spurs team that get wins 86 points, but if in the world of stratification, and this is happening all across you know, European football, you know, with the dominance of Bayern, the dominance of you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid, you know, Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, is that as a result, the amount of points you need to to win a title is now gone from mid 80s to really mid to upper 90s and in some cases 100 points which then mean well how do you build a team to then compete with you know a lesser budget that you know it and the point is is that as much as i'm sure there's a lot of shadow Freud about you know from opposition fans enjoying spurs not doing well you know the underlying point is is that if you've got a situation where Tottenham, who are you know members of the top six, the stratified top six that has really sort of has created a gap between the haves and the haves nots, if they aren't able to compete meaningfully, you know, with the new money of Chelsea and Man City and the institutional old money of Liverpool. You know, without having with a situation where they can't make an institutional error, they can't make mistakes because any one mistake, any miscalculation, automatically sets you so far behind. You know the the top two, the top three. The and that the language that fans use and the con concept of success as a morality tale and as a meritocracy, where it's a level playing field, when really what you have is effectively a, a rigged game where the advantages are so great. You know, I'd sometimes say with, with Guardiola and his um, managerial style that it's effectively playing checkers with the intellectual veneer of chess. That what he's doing is just relatively straightforward and obvious. If you need someone, if you need a new player, you get a world-class player. And you just put that player in, and then you have success. 
and that really, as wonderful as Chelsea's youth team success is, the underlying point is they have spent huge amounts of money on their youth system. And they've created, effectively, an industrial complex you know, where there were you know, multiple players sending people out on loan in a way that, you know, if Tottenham can't compete with that, then how are Leicester going to compete with that in any meaningful long-term viability? And to finish, I'm going to ask the question to the fans, to the listeners. At what price stratification? At what point you know, do you want to wait another 25, 30 years to see a club that isn't Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, you know, win a title? Does Manchester City's fantastic and wonderful football that they play, is that worth losing the FA Cup final, losing the League Cup as actual stepping stone success, is that worth it? Did you enjoy watching Man City put six past Watford in the Cup final? Uh, At what price success? Thank you for listening.